Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022, the 609th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you don't want to, all good. Listen two days later for free and repay me by sharing the podcast with your friends. So I want to talk a little bit today about conspiracy theories. And I'm not just going to tell you all of my conspiracy theories that are never correct and always disinformation. They're based on lies and my total misunderstanding of the world. And none of them ever come true, even though they all keep coming true. But what I want to talk about is this deranged and totally detached notion from 
people who are still asleep, the sort of people who would go out and vote for Joe Biden, thinking that they're solving racism by voting for someone who was mentored by a Klansman, for instance, those kinds of people, why they have such a hard time imagining that anything, all these little things they see and view as discrete and separate events could actually be part of a bigger process with an interconnectedness that is traceable and knowable. Why it means nothing to them that money is passed between the same people. And you can see programs springing up around the world that mean to execute the desires, the agenda of these people who are paying for all of these things. Why they have such a hard time accepting that people and events that are provably connected could possibly have any connection at all. Oh, these things don't mean anything. Everybody's just trying to help. And sure, occasionally mistakes are made, but these are all good people trying to do the right thing. And we should be happy that the wealthiest and most powerful and most high status individuals around the world could get together to improve our collective future, however they see fit. What is it that makes them deny this? Because they don't deny it for everything. In fact, they propose their own conspiracy theories all the time. Almost everything they believe is part of a conspiracy theory. Voter ID, for instance, is not an election integrity measure. It is the end product of a grand conspiracy to suppress the votes of black Americans. We covered the Lincoln Project commercial last week called Suckers. Donald Trump wasn't challenging the election because the election was the product of obvious and overwhelming election fraud. He was trying to rip off his supporters and his supporters know that election fraud didn't really happen. They can't prove it. They actually have nothing to go on, except their cult leader tells them that. And because they're all members of a cult, they go along and believe it. And they'll just give Donald Trump their money. The thing is, no one actually believes the election is stolen in their conspiracy theory. And when you work your way down through their conspiracy theories, you always find out that at the end, it's a set of recurring themes that cause the conspiracy theory. Everything happens because of racism or sexism or transphobia or homophobia or capitalism. Listen to AOC today. There are, and it's not just Japan and South Korea, but there are quite a few countries that are really struggling because young people, because under the burdens of capitalism and under living under a society that's increasingly concentrating wealth among the rich, we're not having kids and, or we're not having kids at the same rate. And we actually need immigrant populations to help balance things out. We can't continue to fund social security, Medicare, all of this stuff without immigrants. And it's always been that way. Don't act like this is some new trend or anything like that. So what you can't see is that throughout that video, AOC was kind of shaking her head during every statement she was making. And she was using her hands as little pincers, just snatching ideas out of the air. I think that's something that they teach millennial women in college. I 
have no other explanation for a behavior so odd yet so prevalent. But AOC just blamed capitalism and was talking about decreasing birth rates, including in the United States. And that's strange for a person who thinks that overpopulation is destroying the planet. But think about the underlying argument there. She basically just argued that because Medicare and Social Security, both of which are socialist programs, because they're going to become insolvent, we need immigrants to come to the country and pay into that tax pool so that the people who were promised Social Security and Medicare can actually get it. She literally just made the argument that we need to import black and brown people from around the world so that they can labor in America and pay taxes in America so that Americans can have what the government promised them already and what they've paid into with their taxes probably for years or decades. That is an argument for indentured servitude, if not outright slavery. And because we know there is already a slave trade underway, it's easy to see that as just an outright argument for slavery. That's AOC, Queen Socialist. That's a complete inversion of reality, completely detached from reality. But still, if you don't want immigration, it's because you're racist. And because that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and can't be proven in any factual way, they actually have to make up the entire chain of events and people that could actually get their argument from an opposition to open borders all the way to racism. There are entire fields of academia devoted to putting that whole puzzle together for everyone. Even though it doesn't make sense, you just have to trust them. They're the social scientists. Now, the difference in the way we talk about these things is between a conspiracy, an actual conspiracy, which virtually everyone understands to be a real thing. People can conspire to do things. Governments can conspire to do things. Any group of people can conspire to do things. And there either is a real conspiracy, either people really are conspiring to do something or they're not. And if they're not suggesting that they are would make that a false conspiracy theory, a bad conspiracy theory. And this is what they're talking about when they call things conspiracy theories, because they want you to stay away from them. They don't want you to go through step by step and put the whole puzzle together using facts about the world and available data and transaction records and even direct quotes from the people involved. You're supposed to understand that nothing that big or that complex could ever happen. So to even suggest that someone on the Internet or a group of people on the Internet might actually have tracked back through all the weaving of that web, confirming every aspect, tracking all of it. 
Well, that's crazy, especially if you're not an expert. Only experts can understand things, and we don't have conspiracy theory experts. That's just not something they teach in college. Therefore, it's not a real thing, and they don't want to know. Even if you can map out the entire thing for them, they're going to challenge you at every little detail. Oh, well, you can't know that for sure. Like, where's your proof? How can you prove that? Okay, well, you know, I I get that you believe that, but I don't think it's proven. You can't prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Not to me. I'm very skeptical and I have very, very high standards. So I got to say that's not proven. And if that's not proven, I have to assume that the rest is similarly not proven. And so the whole thing falls apart. What you're saying about Bill Gates or the World Economic Forum or the WHO or the American government and the CIA. None of those things are true because you can't prove them. And it's like, hey, Kami, what do you think proof is? If I show you this thing and I show you all the things around it and I show you the effect of all those things and the intention of all those things and the results of all those things, is that enough proof to understand that this is how the system actually works? Oh, it's not. Okay, well, what if I were to show you? That the people who constructed and designed this system and the people who paid for this system have also expressed out loud in their own words in public and in their documents and books and everything else that this is exactly what they intended to do with these very organizations and they intended to structure it this way. Is it true then? Is that enough proof? Oh, no. Oh, no, it's not. It's not enough proof. Okay, Kami. Well, when is there enough proof? Oh, it's when the television says it. Okay. Okay. I understand now. So nothing is true until the television says it. And that's where we are. But we know that conspiracies are real and you actually don't have to call them conspiracies. You can simply call them systems that are built for a purpose. And that's what they are. There's nothing conspiratorial about this. They do it in the open with intention and they tell everyone about it. It's not a conspiracy that at the end, the end product of Nike's system is shoes and athletic wear and commercials and stores and celebrity endorsements. That's what the system does. They set the system up for exactly that. And that system executes. It produces the end product. And you can trace back every link in the chain from the original idea, from the original owner and founder of Nike, who I think might still be there. I think his name's Phil Knight. You can trace that all the way down to what they're doing now. The system started small. It expanded. It expanded. It got bigger. Then they signed Michael Jordan. It got far, far, far bigger. And now Nike is a dominant global company in the footwear and athletic wear space. The system does what it was intended to do. And when a company becomes global, the company begins to 
tend to its global interests. And sometimes that involves negotiations with foreign countries. Sometimes that involves lobbying governments. And at a certain point, you have enough wealth and power and influence to be able to affect foreign people and foreign governments, oftentimes without anyone realizing it. Or if they do realize it without anyone caring, they start with an idea and a goal. They build a system around the completion of that idea or goal. And then the system begins executing. And if it reaches its goal, great. Maybe the goals expand. They realize the system can produce more. If something goes off course, then they design ways to correct the system. Now, if you wanted to know how that system works in full, the best person to ask would be the person at the top of the system, the CEO of the company, whoever might have the broadest general understanding of how the system is designed. The CEO is not going to know each and every intricate part of the system. That stuff is delegated, but they have the original idea. It is their responsibility to make sure the system operates in furtherance of their goal. You wouldn't start by asking the assistant manager of the Nike store how the system works if you had access to the CEO. But if you really wanted to map out the entire system, then you would actually go to the smaller nodes like the people at the stores or the company that handles their advertising and marketing. Or you would visit one of the factories and see how the shoe is constructed. There would be a whole lot of paths you could chase down and you might spend a decade becoming an expert on that one particular subject. That's how big a system we're talking about. But no matter how big the system is or how opaque it is, you still have the knowledge that a system exists. You don't have to understand each and every intricate part of the system and how it works with every other part of the system to know that a system is in place. Nike sneakers aren't just plucked off trees by accident when AOC is using her little pincer hands to make her points. If that was the case, then every millennial feminist vlogger would seem like a sneaker hoarder. They would just have Nike sneakers everywhere from how often they're using their little pincer hands to grab their genius just out of the sky. Since before I was born, my father, one of his hobbies was restoring classic MGs. They're these little British sports cars. He's always had one. His main one was a 1963 MGB, and he was rebuilding that car in little stages whenever he got the money and the time as I was growing up and probably did that for a couple of decades. And now he's gotten a couple more and is slowly rebuilding those as well. But back in 1963, these sports cars were not nearly as complicated, according to him, as the cars now. I'm sure they were complicated and complex in different ways. But my point is that what he was doing was taking apart a very complex system down to all of its individual component parts and eventually replacing the parts that were old, fixing the parts that could be fixed, purchasing some new parts, and then putting that whole thing back together so that it works as it was originally constructed to work. 
Now, I couldn't do that, certainly not with the knowledge I possess now. If you gave me one and made it my life's mission to figure out how to do that, maybe I could. But I don't know how that system works, and I also don't understand all of its component parts. So there's a very small likelihood that I would be able to take this MG totally disassembled and be able to map how it all works and put it all back together correctly. Certainly not without outside resources, instruction booklets, books on how cars work. In this day and age, I could watch YouTube videos about how to repair and replace each individual part. I could learn the process and through learning that process, I would better understand the overall system. But my dad doesn't need to do that. He can take the car apart and put it back together because he understands that whole system already. And what we are commonly faced with now from the sorts of people who voted for Joe Biden is an ignorance of how these larger systems function. And because of that ignorance, they will accept the story from authorities about what that system is actually doing, what all the component parts are and what they mean. And the primary message that we receive is that all of this is too complex for you to understand. Therefore, simply ignore it. Trust us. We've got it. And the truth is, all of this stuff is going to bore you. Some of it might make you angry. Either way, you're going to spend way too much of your time trying to figure out this system and you're never going to get it. So just trust us. It's too big. You can't map it all and you certainly can't, you know, prove any of it. And eventually we come to embody the idea that complex systems are too complex for us to understand. So we need to defer to someone else who already knows the system. And that person can just tell us why we are wrong when we think something might be amiss. But my dad's not a mechanic. He can still figure out and has figured out how to take apart a 1963 MGB and put it back together. I don't think that he could do that with a Prius or a Ferrari, but I also understand that if we were both trying to figure out how to take apart and put back together a Prius or a Ferrari, he would be starting at an advanced position because he understands a sort of prerequisite or precursor to the design of the system that is now in place in these more advanced and more complex vehicles. We are told that we can't possibly understand the intricacies of epidemiology or virology or finance or any complex subject that has a profound effect on the world. You need to be an expert to understand why lockdowns work, even though they don't, or why masks work, even though they don't. Or why arguing about borders is racist. But I don't trust some critical race theorist or a gender studies major to be able to put back together my dad's 1963 MGB. In fact, you don't even need to be a mechanic to do that. You just have to understand the system and how the parts work with all the other parts. And for something like car repair, to borrow a phrase from the fake president the other day, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. 
And of course, what I mean is the proof of the understanding of the system is that when you put it together that way, it works. You don't even have to know each and every part of the system to know that the system works when it's put together that way. You don't have to understand how the particles of exhaust function when they go out into the sky to understand that you've put the exhaust system together correctly. And so if a mechanic or my father says, this is how the exhaust system for a 1963 MGB is put together, they're going to be right. What we have now is people who want to assume that it's wrong. So they ask irrelevant questions and then force you to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know each and everything about every single aspect. Because if you don't, then suddenly the system becomes something entirely different. It's totally opaque and unknowable. But they already have at least a passive understanding that this is actually how things work. And I bring this up because I want to highlight two long and fairly well done pieces of investigative journalism. The first is from Politico, and this actually came out last week. How Bill Gates and partners use their clout to control the global COVID response with little oversight. That's the headline from Politico. Subheadline. Four health organizations working closely together spent almost $10 billion on responding to COVID across the world, but they lacked the scrutiny of governments and fell short of their own goals, a Politico and Welt investigation found. Now, Robert Malone was on War Room today and they were discussing this article a bit. And Malone pointed out that this was a modified limited hangout. And you should be able to tell that just from how the subheadline there is phrased. Four health organizations working closely together spent almost $10 billion and $10 billion relative to the numbers that we hear commonly thrown around relative to the size of For instance, the COVID relief packages that are $3 trillion or $6 trillion or a trillion and a half dollars. 10 billion sounds really small. So they've already framed this as something that you'll immediately understand as eh, not that big of a deal. Responding to COVID across the world. See that it's $10 billion spread everywhere, but they lacked the scrutiny of governments. So there was no government oversight over these people. First of all, how could that situation come to pass? How could there be no government oversight when these rich and powerful people are trying to impose their own agenda on the governments of the world? And that's where the concept of a limited hangout comes in. And just for a refresher, because you haven't heard this before, Wikipedia's description will suffice a limited hangout is a tactic used in media relations, perception management, politics, and information management, which originated as a technique in the espionage trade. According to former special assistant to the deputy director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Victor Marchetti, a limited hangout is, quote, 
spy jargon for a favorite and frequently used gimmick of the clandestine professionals when their veil of secrecy is shredded and they can no longer rely on a phony cover story to misinform the public. They resort to admitting sometimes even volunteering some of the truth while still managing to withhold the key and damaging facts in the case. The public, however, is usually so intrigued by the new information that it never thinks to pursue the matter further. While used by the CIA and other intelligence organizations, the tactic has become popularized in the corporate and political spheres. Now, you've heard me use this term on this show a bunch of times. It is the first thing I think when I hear that some whistleblower has come out at a big tech company or some other corporation. And they immediately went to CBS News or the New York Times or the Washington Post and not to Project Veritas, an organization that actually cares about whistleblowers and actually tries to get the real story and not the limited hangout. You might remember Francis Hogan, the Facebook whistleblower from, I don't know, a few months ago, maybe almost a year ago at this point. But she came out and gave a lot of information about how the algorithms manipulate and influence the emotions of teenagers, young girls. That was the point. They were causing depression and increases in suicide and suicidal feelings and ideation. And the media expressed shock and outrage. How could they? How could they? But it was all information that we'd already known for four or five years. People had already been talking about this stuff for a really long time and on wide public platforms. It wasn't something bubbling up from the dark recesses of the Internet. It was out there in public. The idea was to tell the public enough of the story that they would think, "Ooh, we've really caught Facebook this time. We knew something bad was going on over there, but now we know exactly what it is. And people will think that they might discuss it for a day or two on Twitter, and then they'll move on to something else. The next outrage, the next new piece of fascinating information that the world just found out about, even though the truth is that people have known about it for a long time, it was just never in the mainstream. It finally enters the mainstream, but in a form that will protect the people they need to protect. And this isn't the only limited hangout aspect of this article, but it's incredible that one pops up right in the subheadline. They are clearly trying to protect people in governments around the world, because all those people in the governments around the world that went along with the COVID program did so as part of a bigger system. It has taken years, sometimes decades to put all of these people in the positions they're in the positions the system needs them to be in to execute what is the actual agenda. So if you wanted to expose this system in some small degree, because there's no hiding the system at a certain point, well, how would you approach that? You would make sure that the information you let out couldn't have a profoundly damaging effect, especially not on the upper levels of the power structure within that system. Sure, they can go after Bill Gates and some of these global organizations. But they'll present it as all of these people trying to do their best and help. 
And maybe it wasn't enough. Maybe mistakes were made, but they're all there to help. And because that increases their exposure a little bit, they need to gain the advantage of further protection for other levels of the power structure. In this case, the governments around the world that went along with all of it. When COVID-19 struck, the governments of the world weren't prepared. Already, there we go, weren't prepared. All of these people and all of these government organizations have been talking about pandemics for decades, but they weren't prepared. What would have happened if they were prepared, right? Imagine that these governments were all very responsible. They knew the pandemic threat was real and all they cared about was saving people's lives. Well, they would have been prepared, but if they were prepared, then COVID wouldn't have been COVID. COVID would have been like a bird flu scare or an Ebola scare or a harsh flu season. Oh, wait, COVID was equivalent to a harsh flu season and the tests don't work. Well, that's weird. But anyway, we weren't prepared. And when governments aren't prepared, well, then you can expect really world changing disasters, which is why the most important people in the world have been saying for decades, hey, governments, you got to prepare. And at the same time, they are bragging like Klaus Schwab does that they have infiltrated governments all around the world. So it's actually their people who aren't prepared for the problem that they talk about all the time and proper preparation would have prevented the pandemic, which would mean that they couldn't move into the new normal and we wouldn't have had anything that we needed to build back better from. But forget that though. The point is governments weren't prepared. From America to Europe to Asia, they veered from minimizing the threat to closing their borders in ill-fated attempts to quell a viral spread that soon enveloped the world. While the most powerful nations looked inward, four non-governmental global health organizations began making plans for a life-or-death struggle against a virus that would know no boundaries. So there are your stakes. There's your framing right there. The problem was that the rich and powerful nations, the ones with the resources, the ones with the infrastructure to properly respond to the pandemic, they were all concerned about themselves. They weren't concerned about everybody else, which was a big problem for them because you see pandemics spread everywhere. Pandemics don't know borders. <laughs> don't you understand? We need a global response. Governments of individual countries should not be looking out for their own countries. They should be looking out for everyone in the globe. But since they don't, since they're so selfish, we needed non-governmental global health organizations to step into the void. And yes, those organizations made mistakes, but they were trying their best against all odds. Pandemics don't know borders. And the governments weren't prepared. We needed Bill Gates. We needed the global health organizations. 
What followed was a steady, almost inexorable shift in power from the overwhelmed governments to a group of non-governmental organizations, according to a seven-month investigation by Politico journalists based in the U.S. and Europe and the German newspaper Welt or Welt. Armed with expertise, bolstered by contacts at the highest levels of Western nations and empowered by well-grooved relationships with drug makers, the four organizations took on roles often played by governments, but without the accountability of governments. And the governments just let them. There wasn't proper government oversight, but we just needed them so bad. They were the only people there willing and able to step into that void. So making them accountable for what they made governments do, well, that just doesn't seem right. They were just helping. While nations were still debating the seriousness of the pandemic, the groups identified potential vaccine makers and targeted investments in the development of tests, treatments, and shots. And they used their clout with the World Health Organization to help create an ambitious worldwide distribution plan for the dissemination of those COVID tools to needy nations, though it would ultimately fail to live up to its original promises. And again, thank goodness they stepped in. Where would we have been without Bill Gates and friends getting themselves involved in the development of tests that don't work? treatments that don't work while preventing the world from accessing safe and effective and cheap treatments that do work and shots that also don't work. But don't tell Politico that might mess up their limited hangout. You as a child brain in the Politico readership are expected to understand that not only does that stuff work, it's the best stuff we've ever had. It's the only thing that could work. So still, Bill Gates, thumbs up for trying. And they put together COVAX, that system for distribution. Except that hasn't worked either. The four organizations had worked together in the past, and three of them shared a common history. The largest and most powerful was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, one of the largest philanthropies in the world. Then there was Gavi, a global vaccine organization that Gates helped to found to inoculate people in low-income nations. And the Wellcome Trust, a British research foundation with a multi-billion dollar endowment that had worked with the Gates Foundation in previous years. Finally, there was the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI, the International Vaccine Research and Development Group that Gates and Wellcome both helped to create in 2017. So this is four organizations, but all of them are still Bill Gates. Now, before you get any ideas, just because Bill Gates is involved with creating or funding all four of these institutions doesn't mean that he's actually the one controlling them. They're all separate entities. And thank goodness they're there. Think about how much worse the pandemic could have been. Everybody could have died. Literally everybody could have died from a disease that only kills one in a thousand people. Nearly all of them being significantly older with 
an average of four significant comorbidities, but it could have killed everybody. Think about how much worse it would have been if Bill Gates and the four organizations that are all Bill Gates weren't there to help. So that's a bit of an introduction of the piece and to the piece and to the purpose of the piece. But as I said, it's very long. I encourage you to read it. Politico, September 14th. And the authors of the piece are Aaron Banco, Ashley Furlong, and Lennart Foller. But they have a little key takeaway section, so I'm going to go through that. The four organizations have spent almost $10 billion on COVID since 2020, the same amount as the leading U.S. agency tasked with fighting COVID abroad. Oh, good. So $10 billion of American money went through one agency to help fight COVID abroad. And by fighting COVID abroad, they mean funding this same system apparatus to quote unquote fight COVID, which means bad tests, bad treatments like remdesivir and ventilators and experimental gene therapy that is not a vaccine is not safe and is not effective and a system for distribution that puts controls on all of the countries involved in that system. Number two, organizations collectively gave $1.4 billion to the World Health Organization, where they helped create a critical initiative to distribute COVID-19 tools. That program failed to achieve its original benchmarks. But that's good. Bill Gates and his four organizations that are also Bill Gates also fund the World Health Organization and the World Health Organization does get a portion of their funding on a regular basis from Bill Gates. So we have quasi-governmental global organizations being funded by Bill Gates, but you can't prove that Bill Gates is actually running all of those organizations. They're not just like doing whatever he says just because he gives them billions and billions of dollars. They're just an objective, independent organization hell bent on saving lives. And sure, they take Bill Gates money because their mission is so important and it's underfunded, but they don't do what he says. They're the government. They can't just be controlled by rich people. That's a conspiracy theory. The organization's leaders had unprecedented access to the highest levels of governments, spending at least $8.3 million to lobby lawmakers and officials in the U.S. and Europe. Oh, wait. Okay, so they're not like running all these organizations. Bill Gates is not running all these organizations. I mean, yes, he started them all and he funds them all and he funds the World Health Organization, but he's not running any of them. He's just doing philanthropy. This is what philanthropy is. You just get all these billions and billions of dollars over your life as being the most successful computer dork of all time. And yes, you had the government's help. And yes, you ripped off your former partners. And yes, you've been sued over these things many times, but you're still standing. And now you're very, very rich. And all you want to do is give all your money away. It's like, why'd you even try to become rich in the first place? Oh, you just wanted to help so many people with that money. So you needed to get all the money first, and then you could help other people in 
whatever way you choose. And yeah, sure, Bill Gates' dad was on the board of Planned Parenthood, but it's a conspiracy theory to call Planned Parenthood a eugenics organization, even though it was founded by a devout and committed eugenicist named Margaret Sanger. Bill Gates Sr., he got involved later after it wasn't a eugenics thing. And yes, they've killed 40 million black babies in the last five decades, but that's actually a service to the community, don't you see? Because black women aren't capable of raising their children. We actually need Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is not about eugenics. And yes, Bill Gates speaks openly about how the world is overpopulated. And yes, he had a eugenicist as his father, but it's not the same. It's just those things don't connect. Okay. They're just, they're just, they're just not part of the same system. I don't, why are you always coming up with conspiracies like this? It's not weird. Bill Gates spent his whole life making billions and billions of dollars hand in hand with the government. He was totally corrupt the whole time. And many, many people knew about it, but he did all that so he could get rich enough to give all his money away and just give it away to save lives. And, you know, by doing things like creating vaccines and then forcing people in devastated African countries to take them. But he was curing malaria, don't you see? So yes, he started these four organizations and he funds the WHO and they all came up with a cohesive uh, pandemic policy, but that's because the governments weren't prepared and to help the governments better prepare, Bill Gates was able to purchase access to the highest levels of government, according to now Politico. That was a conspiracy theory two years ago, but now it's true because this is the part they're allowing to hang out. Officials from the U.S., EU, and representatives from the WHO rotated through these four organizations as employees, helping them solidify their political and financial connections in Washington and Brussels. So wait, employees of these organizations were also working in the WHO and in governments in the United States and Europe? Are these the same people that Klaus Schwab has bragged about having infiltrated governments around the world? Klaus Schwab brags that he basically controls half of Canada's government. Is he lying? Is that a conspiracy theory? Is he just trying to impress people? What is that? Is, he, is Klaus Schwab just, just wrong? He is uninformed about who and what he controls? Riddle me that, Kami. So let's get this straight. We got Bill Gates. We got four organizations that are also Bill Gates. We got the WHO, who's also Bill Gates. All of these organizations are lobbying the government at its highest levels. And also the government and these organizations and the WHO all shuffle their employees back and forth between them so they can all get on the same page. Got to have everybody on the same page. The leaders of the four organizations pledged to bridge the equity gap. However, during the worst waves of the pandemic, low-income countries were left without life-saving vaccines. 
except the vaccines don't save lives. And the reason that those countries didn't take the vaccines is because they didn't want to. Why? Because they've experienced all of this before. And it's worth noting that if you have read Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, then you actually just have everything. You can see most of the system because Robert F. Kennedy Jr. happens to be an expert on that system. He has devoted at least the last 10 years of his life to understanding that very system. His book is not a limited hangout. It's an expose. It's what this article is pretending to be. And the last takeaway here, leaders of three of the four organizations maintained that lifting intellectual property protections was not needed to increase vaccine supplies, which activists believed would have helped save lives. Now, there are two things happening there. One of them is the assertion by the global communists that they didn't need to open up the intellectual property which would have enabled outside manufacturers to produce mass quantities of that vaccine, which would then enable them to deliver the vaccine more quickly and save lives with the vaccine. Except the thing is, the vaccine doesn't save lives. It actually destroys them. And if the intellectual property were made public, if the vaccine formula was just out there. If people could know all that was in the vaccine, because it certainly doesn't say on the label. Well, these organizations would have a whole different problem on their hands. So how do you fix that? Well, you make the argument that we can actually supply enough vaccines without sharing the intellectual property with anyone. And of course, that argument is ridiculous. Activists we're like, no, we need more vaccines. Share it with everyone. Normal people were like, yeah, we know why they're not sharing it with everyone. What could be more obvious? It's funny at the bottom of this takeaways section, they have uh, a button that allows you to view their methodology. It says, follow the money, which is what every conspiracy theorist in the world also says. But you see, the thing is, Conspiracy theorists don't understand that they're not able to follow the money. You have to have a journalism degree and a byline in Politico to be able to follow the money. Just like you have to be a mechanic to put back together a 1963 MGB. But listen, don't worry about any of this. It's just these four organizations and the WHO. It's just a little lobbying at the highest levels. It's just a little bit of infiltration of the government and nothing they did actually worked. All of it made things worse and all of it was pursuing one agenda. But where would we be without them? And don't worry, again, this is the whole system. There's nothing else. They don't have influence on the universities and the pharma companies, anything like that. It's, it's, it's just this stuff. The real problem is one of government oversight. Things just weren't going to be good with Trump in office. I think everybody can agree with that. And the other problem is that governments simply weren't prepared. And because we know that the scientists tell us more pandemics are on the way, 
the way that we can be prepared better is by giving all of these people way more money. Now, let's shift focus slightly. This is Tablet Magazine, and this is also from last week, September 13th by Hayden Ludwig. And this is another long piece, but it is excellent. The for-profit DC firm staging America's grassroots movements. Behind the closed doors of an unassuming philanthropic consultancy in Washington, D.C., is one of the most powerful lobbying forces in the United States. The Atlantic has called it the massive progressive dark money group you've never heard of and the indisputable heavyweight of Democratic dark money. The Washington Post believes its potent lobbying arm is reason enough for Congress to enact forced donor disclosure laws, while Politico labeled it a dark money behemoth. The system of political financing, which often obscures the identities of donors, is known as dark money, wrote the New York Times, and Arabella's network is a leading vehicle for it on the left. Meet Arabella Advisors, the brainchild of ex-Clinton administration staffer Eric Kessler and the favorite tool of anonymous billionaire donors on the progressive left. Since 2006, the Arabella Hub has overseen a growing network of nonprofits, call them spokes, that collected $2.4 billion in the 2019-2020 election cycle, nearly twice as much as the Republican and Democratic National Committees combined. $2.4 billion to influence the election from the progressive side in the 2020 cycle. These nonprofits in turn manage and supervise a vast array of pop-up groups, mainly political attack dog websites, ad campaigns, and spontaneous demonstrations staffed by Arabella's network of activist professionals who pose as members of independent activist organizations. These groups such as Fix Our Senate, The Hub Project, and Floridians for a Fair Shake typically emerge very suddenly in order to savage the political opposition on the policy or outrage of that particular day or week, then vanish just as quickly. The pop-ups do not file IRS disclosures or report their budgets, boards, or staffs. In most cases, their connection to Arabella goes unreported. Many of them have offered sympathetic ordinary voters the opportunity to donate to whatever the grassroots cause happens to be, when in fact the money feeds back into Arabella's enormous dark money network. Now, Arabella is a name that you've probably heard before, maybe on this show. Other shows have covered it in depth. A lot of people have done really good work on the Arabella stuff. So this is not breaking news, but this article gives a good idea of the structure here, and they do a good job of following the money even through the intentionally constructed opacity of these organizations. So I'm going to skip down a bit. From a donor's perspective, the Arabella Network may offer a way to direct large amounts of money into favored political causes while minimizing outside scrutiny. The IRS requires 501c nonprofits, that's 501c3s and 501c4s, to file annual Form 990 disclosures revealing budgets, boards, and any grants paid out. But only private foundations must publicly report their donors, making it easy to trace a donation, for example, from Warren Buffett to the Buffett Foundation 
to Planned Parenthood. Alternatively, by routing financial contributions through the new venture fund, this is part of the Arabella network, and then on to the final recipient, that donor's name is washed away. His or her contribution is pooled with money from other donors and later paid out as new venture fund grants. In other words, it is possible to observe money entering the Arabella pot and money leaving it, but there is no way to connect any particular grant to any individual donor. In 2020 alone, the spokes paid out $896 million this way, virtually all of it to politically active organizations. Private foundations are also barred from election intervention and, with certain exceptions, from donating to 501c4 groups like the 1630 Fund, since the latter are allowed to spend significantly more money on lobbying than their C3 counterparts and may engage in limited electioneering, such as campaign ads and endorsements. The bulk of the Arabella Network's revenues come from foundation contributions, which is all the more notable given how much money circulates internally between the spokes, roughly $103 million in 2020. Did foundation money end up supporting 1630 funds election work in past elections? It's impossible to tell, but money is fungible. Foundation grants may not have been used for lobbying, but it's not hard to see how they can free up other 1630 fund money for political work. In the first quarter of 2022, for example, 1630 fund spent $2.3 million lobbying Congress on drug pricing caps in the Build Back Better bill, election integrity and filibuster reform. Since 2020, 1630 Fund has spent $7.8 million lobbying Congress on annual appropriation bills, statehood for Washington, D.C., the CARES Act, quote-unquote Senate rules reform proposals, Medicaid expansion, and the For the People Act. So this massive dark money network is trying to fund the federalization of elections. And it's notable that most of these goals in here were not accomplished. So all that money was spent on lobbying. That money went into the hands of lobbyists and then potentially into the hands of members of Congress or their campaigns or people in organizations they're affiliated with. And what about the CARES Act? Why would this Democratic lobbying firm be trying to get changes made to the CARES Act? Oh, it's because the CARES Act was just a big giveaway to global communist agenda associated organizations and people. And it wasn't actually about saving lives from COVID. A deliberately ominous but squishy term coined a decade ago by the left leaning Sunlight Foundation to criticize anonymous spending by conservative groups in the 2010 midterm elections. Dark money is today widely used to disparage one's political opponents in general. Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, the Senate's top dark money hawk, has compared the anonymous spending of groups he disagrees with to treason, while ignoring the $3.7 billion in dark money that benefited groups he does agree with in 2020 alone. Jumping down again. In November 2021, The Atlantic's Emma Green put the obvious question to Ganguly, Arabella's CEO at the time. You might call Arabella's work political. Why should people with a lot of money be able to do this anonymously? 
Green says this, you spend your days serving the interests and needs of billionaires. Also, theoretically, you're part of a progressive world that thinks that's wrong and unjust. I wonder if you think it is okay for groups like this to be able to operate under the cover of darkness. Ganguly responds, this is what the law allows for. When the laws change, we will make sure we are perfectly compliant with them. Projects and donors have every opportunity to share publicly what they do and don't do. It's not incumbent on Arabella advisors to opine on what that should be. So there's no problem here at all. They follow the laws as those laws are written. Should the laws change, they'll follow those new laws. And they say this while one of the purposes of their organization is to get laws changed. After enough prodding, Ganguly appeared to concede that Arabella is no different than one of the most persistent and salient boogeymen among political progressives. Green, you both take advantage of similar legal structures, federal regulations, and the ability to put lots of money toward politics, little p. They just work on the opposite side for opposite causes. Do you feel good that you're the left's equivalent of the Koch brothers? Ganguly, yeah. And that's pretty incredible. If you are a child-brained communist, then you believe that the Koch brothers basically control everything that happens on the Republican side. And there's some argument that that was true for a time. It's certainly not true anymore, but they love to go back to this. Oh, that's just a Koch brothers thing. Oh, they're just doing what the Koch brothers say. So they have an idea that there is a system and at the top of that system are very wealthy and powerful people with a certain political agenda and that they are trying to impose that agenda on the country and on the government to work toward their own benefit. And they believe that that system is evil. It's unfair. It obscures and distorts the political process. And so when it comes to the same thing on their side, these people having absolutely no principles whatsoever will then claim, well, this is what we need to fight the other side. And this is a fairly common tactic with them when they're doing something awful, but technically legal. They say, well, it's legal. The other side should just start their own. And in the reverse situation, if the other side has one and they find it immoral, if they believe it's illegal, then when they realize that they have that too, they say, well, yeah, but this is what we need to fight the other side. And so really, it's just okay whenever they do it. When historians look back on this period in American political history, what they might think of as the second Gilded Age, they could do worse than to consult the list of top foundation donors to the Arabella Network's flagship new venture fund between 2009 and 2022. There's no comprehensive list of donors to Arabella's nonprofits, but all nonprofits are required to publicly disclose to whom they contribute. Over the years, it has been possible to trace grants to Arabella's 501c3 nonprofits from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, $375 million, the Ford Foundation, $125 million. Intel co-founder Gordon Moore's Moore Foundation, $113 million. Warren Buffett's Susan Thompson Buffett Foundation, $111 million. William and Flora Hewlett Foundation of Hewlett-Packard fame, $71 million. 
Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, 54 million. Rockefeller Foundation, 43 million. W.K. Kellogg Foundation, 37 million. David and Lucille Packard Foundation, Hewlett Packard's other co-founder, $33 million. And the John and Catherine MacArthur Foundation, an insurance and real estate mogul, $24 million. So all of those are pretty common names. These are families that are consistently contributing to all of funding, all of the global communist orders, favorite NGOs and nonprofits and quasi governmental organizations. They fund the lobbying. They trade employees throughout these organizations in and out of government between the organizations. And in this particular case, all of these titans of industry, these massive global communists, all explicitly committed to the same agendas and funding the same agendas. Well, they're able to all just push their money into this Arabella network where the money will disappear. It will become fungible once it's in there. And then that network will prop up brand new organizations, fund them for particular political causes, like trying to slander Brett Kavanaugh, for instance, that's one of them. And Jen Psaki, the former press secretary in the fake administration, she was part of that organization, Demand Justice, that went after Brett Kavanaugh under Arabella's funding umbrella. So what we have here is a pretty lengthy, limited hangout that nonetheless does still show the structure of this system. And then in tablet, we have a really well done investigative piece that does a great job of exposing a similar and connected system. And you can trace this money for yourself. You can go to websites like influencewatch.org and you can look up these individual organizations. Like when you see a political ad and it says paid for by demand justice pack or something like that, you can go figure out where that money comes from and you can trace that money back where the donors are, what organizations connect with that organization. And you will continually find these same families involved with all of it. And of course, it's not just these families. There are families all around the world involved in similar systems, similar organizations with similar structures working to achieve similar ends. And all of them tie back to the World Economic Forum. We know about the World Economic Forum's partner organizations. If you haven't looked before, go to weforum.org, go to their partners section and then look at how many organizations around the world that you're familiar with are partners of the World Economic Forum. Then examine the World Economic Forum's code of conduct. Everyone has to support the agenda. They can't talk against the agenda. This is what has them implementing environmental social governance scores, the ESG scores. All of this is because they are all trying to collect the same pot of money that springs forth from the bosom of very powerful people like Bill Gates. They all go along with the agenda. They implement the agenda. They tell everyone publicly that they are implementing the agenda. It's not hard to see why they're implementing the agenda because the people they get money from are publicly committed to the same 
agenda. And so the thing here is we are not just staring at a totally disassembled 1963 MGB in my father's garage and trying to figure out what to do with it. We are looking at big chunks of the blueprint of the car enough to be able to successfully reconstruct the car. Even if we don't understand each and every individual piece in every way it could possibly be understood. The point is that you can remake the car. And even, even if we don't have enough of the blueprint to be able to rebuild the entire car perfectly, we can still understand. Oh, Hey, Once you start putting this whole thing together, looks a lot like a car. I don't know if I can actually make the entire thing work because I don't understand the whole system yet, but I know for damn sure that's a car. And yet we are told that to suggest that is a car without being entirely certain to the point where we could construct that blueprint for ourselves and tell everyone how each and every single part works. We know what the particles in the exhaust are as they spread toward the clouds and carry messages to the sun that it must now attack the earth. If you're not entirely certain about all of that, well, then you just can't prove it. Sure. I see that that looks like a car. I got to agree with you there. It definitely does look like a car, but you can't prove it because you don't have the whole blueprint and you don't understand every individual piece of it. And I could ask you questions and eventually you're not going to know the answer. And so I just can't believe you. Yeah, fine. It's a car. Fine. It's a car. But you know, what am I really supposed to take from that? Maybe it's a fake car. Maybe the car is just a mirage. Maybe this just isn't how it works. And besides No one would ever be evil enough to make this car. But hey, Kami, you see the exact same thing. You just don't want to admit what it is. Because to admit what it is would mean that you don't understand how systems work. You don't understand how knowledge works. And you're ignorant about too many parts of the system to even understand that they work together. And you won't believe it until the television says so. Except the system is the system and you know, systems exist and you even understand how other systems work without being able to explain absolutely every element of it. So let me suggest for you, Kami, that the problem you're having is just one of denial. You just don't want it to be true, but it is true. And it's happening and you can see it and you can prove it. And the people constructing the system, the people setting the agenda to achieve a certain set of goals, happily and proudly admit it in the biggest public forums they could ever possibly muster. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to believe them. And you know what else? Since they constantly fail at everything they do, but they keep doing it, maybe it's time to question whether or not they're being honest about their agenda. Because if they're not, and they have all these efforts 
to influence elections and make a more progressive world, you might begin to wonder whether or not there's something else going on there too. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!